It's good to be with you. I was um, woke up early one time uh, in a hotel room for work. Had to go downstairs, met my crew. I think it was four in the morning or something. And I just casually said to them, I said, um, time to make the donuts. And the gal turned to me, one of my coworkers, who was much younger than I, and said, do you like donuts? And I said, well, I, yeah, yeah, but I mean, that's not exactly what I'm saying. And if you lived where I lived and you're around my age, you might remember Fred the Baker, the Dunkin' Donuts commercial where every morning he got up in the morning and he would say, he's just this, you know, hardworking guy. And he just went, time to make the donuts. And, you know, his wife is sleeping peacefully next to him. And he's like, time to make the donuts, time to make the donuts. And so it became a phrase that we would say to each other. It's like, time to make the donuts. And what it means is you're getting up early and you're working hard and you're doing the right thing and maybe it's a job that you like, but uh, it embodies more than donuts. And so to this person, you know, trying to explain what that was, it was kind of tricky to, you know, to say like, no, it was a commercial, I guess you're too young and it meant, and there was like everything that I just told you and she smiles and goes, okay, all right. And I said, well, let's just go to work anyway. Um, so, But it just got me thinking as I'm reading through this really familiar passage and how we interpret scripture sometimes one line at a time or we take a line and, and, and we read it and, and maybe we have it stepped in. Maybe that's not part of our, our history or our pattern. We don't know much about that. And we kind of interpret scripture a little bit. And I was thinking, there's so many, it, uh, one, across my feed somewhere in there came all of these famous movie quotes. And I said, what if we like... What if these movie quotes were in the scripture and we interpreted these movie quotes the way we do the Bible? So I had a good time. I like to entertain myself while I'm doing preparation. A few of these are, are like, it, and maybe you've seen the movie and you get, you know, what they're saying by that. But maybe you haven't seen the movie and you just are like the girl going, do you like donuts? Um, but I just thought I'd, I'd do a few of these, see if, see if we are on the same page. So if, if movie lines were Bible verses and we didn't see the movie, how we might interpret them. That's the title of this part. Um, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Right? I mean, have you seen the movie? It kind of means if you say that to a friend, right? I don't feel like we're in Kansas anymore. Like, it means there's an epic shift. It's Dorothy, Wizard of Oz. She wakes up in a dreamland. You know, so we might say that to each other. How about this one? Life is like a box of chocolates. And, you know, I can hear the girl going, do you like chocolate? I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Life is like a box. Is it sweet? No. You never know what you're going to get. Come on. Don't you know? You know, she might not know that part. Um, but you have to, you know, you have to be there. It's that kind of joke. Um, phrase. What about this one? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. It's like, oh, God must really want us to swim. God likes a hard, athletic, swimming body. Um, you know, if this were scripture, we'd just say water. Let's, we'd write, write worship songs about swimming and, and things like that. But if you've seen the movie, you've seen Little Fish Dory, it's just, it's like about perseverance and going on a journey and you you would encourage somebody with these words just keep swimming and you're like thanks a lot but um what about this one luke i am your father <laughs> and you might just go oh luke has a father oh i'm so 
good for Luke. And, and everybody else is going, no, no, that's not a good thing. Um, because you had to be there. You had to watch the movie. And then, and then finally, a little bit more obscure is like, nobody puts baby in the corner. Yeah. Right? You're like, that's child abuse. Why would you put a baby in the corner? It's just a baby. And you're like, no, 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 it's, it, it's baby in the corner. You know, but nobody puts baby in the corner. So anyway, that, I was just thinking of those things in relationship to this passage because many of us have memorized the Lord's Prayer from, or heard it or familiar with it, and we're over-familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And we lose this attachment to its meaning when we don't kind of dig in a little bit to its original source. What would it have been like to be in the middle of that movie and to hear Jesus say and pray like this. So today I just want us to, to for a while, just say, what was Jesus teaching him by this? You know, tonight, today's sermon is, is Hallowed Be Your Name. But it's really hard to just dive in on that one little part. So we'll run along the beach, and then we'll swim into the Lord's Prayer, and then we'll dive into that passage there. Because I found it fascinating, as I was studying more and more about this passage, to put myself in this position and say, what would it have been like to hear Jesus say to me, pray these words. So here we go. A slide number one is the Lord's Prayer. Let's just pray for a minute so that we can put ourselves in that setting and be in that movie and hear Jesus speak to us. Lord, I invite you to speak these words fresh to us because we weren't there and we're not Jewish and we didn't hear it the way they heard it. And we don't necessarily know what you mean. And Lord, we want to just pour out what we think we know and let you pour in what we need to know. So I just ask Lord Jesus that you would um, that you would paint over these words with your Holy Spirit and make something beautiful for each one of us. That you would make this uh, a beautiful, beautiful um, inter- interaction between you and all of us this morning. So I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, let's just read this prayer together in its entirety. Um, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Whoever has that line can explain sins, trespasses, and debtors, but I don't care which one it is. But praise the Lord. So now now let's just set up the scene of this movie a little bit. Let's just go a little bit into the context of this. So we'll pretend that we're in Israel, that we're dressed in our best bed sheets, um, because that's what they wore, I guess, in those days. And then, and then we just heard that outside of our little town was this rabbi and we're going to go sit on the hill. So so we walk out and we're sitting on the hill in our clothes and we look around and there are like a lot of people, thousands of people have heard about this guy and what he says and what he does and that it's so amazing. So we're there and we're sitting in this, in this place and 
And this prayer is in the context of Jesus' largest sermon in Matthew. And it's the Sermon on the Mount. And he gets to this part of prayer. So this line is part of this prayer, which is part of a section on prayer, which is part of a sermon, which is delivered on a mountainside to thousands of people. All right? You're getting the context there, and you're in your bed sheets. Um, so... So the Matthew context is, of the Lord's Prayer is what to pray, is in a pretext of how to pray. So the, so <clears throat> the response to the question, the, the, the Lord's Prayer is introduced by Jesus two times in the Bible. And it was told to me, I didn't really get it this way, but Jesus is an itinerant pre- preacher, so his large sermon in Matthew, he, this is his body of work, and he would go from town to town and likely retell his parables, maybe in a slightly different way, teach us to pray, Lord, in a smaller gathering. That was his disciples that said, teach us to pray. But it was all consistent with his larger message and theme. So I thought about that as a teacher, saying that's... That's a really nice and comforting thing that you wouldn't have have had to go as a disciple and take down all the notes, take down all the notes. Oh, you know, he may have new and, and, and a word for this group of people at this time, but his disciples became very familiar with his teachings. And his teachings were consistently life-giving and consistently on point for his audience there. So... So R.C. Sproul said, we don't usually ask someone to teach us something unless we admire their talent. So the disciples, after watching day after day, asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, not how to do miracles or teach a crowd, as it's recorded. They may have seen a link between him and the Father through prayer that produced effectiveness in ministry. So they pursued Jesus in this way. They saw that link. They didn't say, teach us how to do miracles like that. Or if they did, um, that didn't make the Gospels. That hit the floor because they said, no, no, what really happened was when we said, teach us to pray, that's where the power came from. It was this exchange and this interaction with God the Father. And so that was worth recording. So whether it was recorded or not, the power comes from the relationship of Jesus and the Father in prayer. So um, the disciples witnessed this connection between Jesus and his power in the ministry and, and the intimacy of God in prayer. So let's just say I'm Jewish, especially male. It would have been traditional in that time that you would have prayed three times a day. That was just what you did as a Jewish person if you were devout. You would pray in the morning, the noon, and the night. And the first prayer that they pray is on the next slide. It would be very familiar for them to pray the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. Um, Heart, mind were the same word in Hebrew. They got split up in Aramaic. We say heart, mind because it's two different words to us. Um, So... So this was really consistent for the Jewish person. Jesus would have said, you know, we pray the Shema. And then Jesus said the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he says the other one is equal to it. Love, um, 
love each other as, as <laughs> I'm sorry, love your neighbor as yourself. So it was this same side, both greatest commandments equal love God and love people. So those were the greatest commandments, and that would have been their bedrock in prayer. But another common Jewish prayer that isn't actually in the Bible, but was prayed in their time, was called the Kaddish. And it went like this. May God's great name be exalted and hallowed in the world he created according to his will. May he be established in his kingdom in your lifetime, in your days, and in the lifetime of the house of Israel speedily and soon. Amen. And when we look at this prayer, we say, wait a minute, may God's great name be exalted and hallowed in the world that he created according to his will. That's very familiar. The Lord's Prayer is, is kind of a riff on some of those words where Jesus would have taken something that's kind of familiar to these people and said, pray in this way. Pray in this way. And, and I just really connected with the Lord, Jesus, and I really admired his kindness and his gentleness in that. He says, this is how you pray. This is familiar to you. Now pray it in this way. And I just saw a kindness of him of affirming. I affirm your prayer. I affirm the way you pray. I affirm this history. I affirm this. Now pray it like this. And he met them where they were at. And he guided them to where he wanted them to be. That was dear to me. So Jesus was inviting them to pray instinctively rather than reactively. And that would have been their culture three times a day. But he not only told them what to pray, but he was telling them how to pray. So the pretext right before this is a passage of scripture where he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love praying, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is immediately preceding in the sermon, the Lord's Prayer. So he's telling me, pray like this, private and not babbling. Now, if you're wearing your bed sheets and you're sitting on the hill, you would know there's no such thing in your day and age among your socioeconomic class as a private room in your house. So I know we watch movies and we clean out a master closet and put up scriptures on the wall and, and pray in a, in a literal private room. But for them, it would have been much more metaphorical. And we know that Jesus often went alone into the hills or the countryside to pray. But for people who didn't have that ability or that instinct... He was saying metaphorically, pray privately in your heart as well. Have this connection with God internally inside of you and not in a public way. So Jesus invited them to pray in this way. Do not use many words. Um, a lot of times in pagan prayers, there was a negotiation between this God that they didn't have a relationship with, and a lot of the prayer was, I have to say this this many times, I have to do it just this way. Um, it was this negotiation, if I do this, then you can do that. Um, what do you like, this God or that God? What, what God 
uh, do you have power or dominion over if you're a little god? So there's all of these different pagan prayers that would require a lot of words, a lot of negotiation to say, okay, how do I get through to you to your power? How do I get through to you to a relationship? And not knowing a pagan god, that may be requiring a lot of words. Or maybe you have that internal instinct of, I just haven't prayed long enough. I need to really suffer in this prayer to get this god to do what I want him to do. Not so with Jesus' prayer. He flipped it on his head and he said, pray a short prayer to your father who knows what you need. So the Lord's Prayer is in three parts. The first part is the address, which um, we talked about last week, and it's our Father who is in heaven, and that establishes our relationship with him. We don't have to justify our prayers like the pagans with the pagans, and we don't have to, our father, our dad, our daddy was absolutely unheard of for them to pray. They would pray to our father, but it was a different word. It was a, a much more traditional, formal word. But Jesus kept saying this word, daddy, and I bet it just really stuck with them. Just saying like, oh, that's just, you know, cringy. We, you know, we use that word. It's like, oh, like you can't talk to God like like that familiar. Like you're a child when you say daddy. But Jesus can consistently referred to God the Father as Daddy, as Abba. And he was inviting his disciples to do the same thing. So we talked also about last week that our Father is a very intimate term, this Daddy term that a child would use, but in heaven is this epic term. And someone said that this Swing from our Father who is in heaven to the degree that we can understand both is the pendulum swing of the depth of our worship. The, the more we can understand the intimacy that we have through the access of God our Father, that that relationship has been established, and the more we understand how outstanding and epic and mighty and, and vast he is, in contrast, will be the range of our worship. Some of us gravitate toward one side or the other, but if we can have both, then we have a real rich experience in our worship. So the next section are three petitions. They are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And that section, those are three petitions to God, and the end clause is on earth as it is in heaven. That could be a tagline on all three of them. So I've been thinking of this as how would be your name on earth as it is in heaven. That's the way we say it in English, but in another language it would have been as it is in heaven, so may it be on earth. And when I think of it that way, we were referring it today in worship. It's like worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. We have this experience of being in the throne room. We worship God. We're saying, what is it like there? And with all of our pictures in Revelation and maybe Isaiah, we're thinking, what is it like to be in the presence of the epic, majestic God? And to bring that in and then to think, may my petition be, my prayer be, may that experience happen on earth. This is my prayer. A lot of times we skip to the part of, and, and it's a great part, the end game of I'm hallowing your name right now. And in our culture, we are very um, 
me, my, instead of us, our. And this prayer in their culture is very us, our, and not me, my. So their prayer would have been in this culture, in this time, in the house of Israel, in Israel now, in Israel past, in Israel present, may your name be great. May your name be hallowed. May it be exalted. And I think we in our culture lose that side of it quite a bit. Because I just say, well, I'm hallowing the name of God. But I was thinking, making this a petition of ours. When I meet somebody who's maybe caught in my roots, or or frankly, when I'm caught in the roots of somebody else, I need that prayer to be prayed. May God's name be hallowed in your life. Can you think of someone who does not know God as deliverer? And you say, I am praying, may your name be hallowed as deliverer in this person's life. This is our petition. This is our prayer. Jesus is saying, yes, do what the prayer says, on, but pray for that to happen among people, among the ones you care about. Pray that prayer. It's as much a posi- petition as the other six. So there is three positions, and we pray on heaven, as it is in heaven, may it be on earth. The your positions could end with that phrase. The three our position, uh, petitions um, are for prov- provision, bread, give us today our bre- daily bread. That would have been spiritual and physical. Uh, pardon, forgive us our sins, trespasses, debts, whatever you've got, forgive them. And protection from the evil one. Those three things. So in, as you look at the whole of the Lord's Prayer, the first part is like a marching band coming in with symbols. Like, da-da-da-da-da, may your, as it is in heaven, may this be on earth. Petition, 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 your kingdom, your will, as it is in heaven, your name. And then I see the second half as a quiet guitar strum of now give us our daily bread. Give us forgiveness that we need, mercy. Give us protection from the evil one, a quiet guitar strum. But if the first three are realized, the second three are done. So, hallowed be your name. Let's Now we're diving into our words for today. Hallowed. We don't say that name anymore, but they didn't come up with a better one. It's an old English one, and they said hallowed. So, if anybody's like a trendsetter, I can't do it. I don't set trends, but I think we could bring hallowed back. So, you know, it's like, it means holy or ultimate or great or treasured or valued or sacred. You know, all those things kind of mashed up together. You were like, Hallowed. Yeah, I, it could, I mean, said right by the right person, it could work. But I'm not that person. But I'm just floating that out there in case you're here today. Make that name, you know, important again. But I really liked the name um, Ultimate. May God's name be ultimate to all of these people because it encompasses all of who he is. So that's my favorite. But it's set apart. No one is like God. He is the ultimate. We approach God with the right position, with him in his whole holiness. Not like the pagans do. They treat this God as a power of that, that God as a power of this. We're talking about the God of the universe who is holy, holy in all of these uh, uh, ways. And then we think about 
the opposite of that. How do we make God's name common? What's the opposite of hallowing the name of God? And we find in Exodus, it's taking the name of the Lord our God in vain, or blaspheming or profaning the name of God. And that just means to lower in different degrees, lower God's name to what it's not meant to be. It's the opposite of respecting and and hallowing and setting his name apart. So John Piper said, when we lose our grip on the magnificence of God and prayer begins to shrink down around our problems, we lose our equilibrium. The kingdom becomes very small. And Jesus is teaching us to pray big, big prayers about the magnificence of God. So in contrast, when we encounter, we were talking about this, thank you very much, when we encounter the hallowed name of God in its form, in our thought becomes our attitude. That attitude among us becomes the atmosphere. And this atmosphere, because his name is his essence, and hallowing it or treating it rightly brings the essence of God. He loves to inhabit the praises of his people, right? So he brings his presence and his essence into, his, into this praise when we're hallowing him. And when he comes in with his presence, he brings his kingdom. He brings his rule, his lordship, and then he brings his will. So worshiping God, the name of God, is the beginning of all of the other three. So this week I was reading, and this was a great picture for me. It was just an example. I was reading Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has a vision of the throne room of God. And the train of his glory fills the temple. And when he has that right view of God in Isaiah 6, he gets a right view of himself. And he's undone. He says, who am I? Unclean lips. You know, and he's bowing down. Amazing God. Because he's having a right view of God and a right view of himself. And God in that moment comes to him and purifies him. and, And touches his lips with coal to purify him. And when he purifies him, then the question is, who will I send to speak for me? And out of that experience... Isaiah says, here I am, send me. This is the progression of the hallowing of the name of God and then having his kingdom come where he's in his rightful place and then having his will be done and then mission happens. And this is the way it goes. Jesus is brilliant to give us this prayer. So I had a similar experience, and I've told it before, but it's been a long time, so most of you haven't heard it. But I had my own similar experience where I'm in a worship setting in church, and um, the band was up front. The choir was processing in, and they were singing a song that was um, mentioning all the names of Jesus throughout Scripture, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Jesus is this. I think there was a narrator right here, and he was... He was um, Narrating the names of Jesus and God throughout Scripture. And the choir was processing in. And as they were coming in, it was kind of getting louder. You know, the hum was building. It was, it was you know, 
exciting for all of us. It was the call to worship. And so it was getting louder and louder, and we finally get to Revelation. When we're getting, I probably in the New Testament, the back doors opened, and down the center aisle, you know, these people came, and they had these banners, and they were processing down. It was such a powerful moment. And as I turned back, wouldn't you know, the sun is coming right in there. It's just this blinding light. And that's where my vision started. I said, like Jesus could walk in right now. It is that holy. We are so focused on his name and who he is. What, that would be amazing if Jesus walked in right now. And so then I started imagining what that would be like. And I'm sitting on the aisle, and he's walking down behind these banners, and I just thought, oh my goodness, he's going to get to the front, and Jesus is going to preside over this worship setting, and this place is going to go nuts. We're going to go crazy, and he's going to fly around like like in Isaiah, and his robe's going to fill the temple, you know, and I'm just going nuts at the, the idea of Jesus coming into this setting, and when he gets down, still my imagination, because he wasn't physically there, but when he gets down to my row, I'm, everybody starts bowing as he's processing, and we're all bowing down. So I'm bowing down like this, waiting for him to get to the front, because it was such a holy moment. And when we get down there, there's like 800 people in the room. I, I'm looking around saying, has he passed me yet? Has he passed me yet? He hasn't passed me yet. And then I look down, and I can see a hand reaching under the chairs, just like these, and touching my ankle. And I look back, and Jesus had laid down in the aisle, and he reached over, and he touched my ankle. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, no, Jesus, get up, get up, get up. I, I'm bowing, but you're on your face, and you're touching my ankle. You need to take your rightful place. And and I was so overwhelmed with his presence physically in that room while that worship setting was going on. I was saying, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? And he just reached out his hand, and it was all I needed, but he gestured to someone across the aisle. And I knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I want you to serve that person. That's what I'm asking you to do. And so the end game of the object of my worship was not for me to observe and to create a spectacle and to participate in glorifying him, but it was for his name to become real in me and for it to go out. And it was so profound. I have never forgotten that experience that my worship is not just an exchange between he and I. It is an exchange that requires his name to go out from me. So, now as we look at the name of God, and we're that Jewish person, again, the names to them mean far different than it does to us. Dave, Mike, Steve, you know, Jim, Christine. You don't think a particular thing of me when you hear my name, but in Jewish culture, it would have been very important what you name somebody and what you call them. And they have many names for God. And back in the back in the um, Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abram, 
if you remember. And what was interesting is that Yahweh has that ah in it. And God renames Abraham and puts part of his name in Abraham's name. So no longer Abraham, but you're going to be Abraham, Braham, and Sarah. I'm going to give you part of my name to carry with you. And to Moses, it was very important for Moses at the burning bush to say, what's your name? Who should I say, you know, sent me? Because in that culture at that time, it would be very important. Your name is your essence, your reputation, your banner. It says who you are to another person. It introduces you. It's that connection. So at the burning bush, we know that God said, thank you for the worship song. He says, I am, I am. And in Hebrew, that would have been a blank check. I am God. I am currently now everything that you need. I am that God, not a God. I am the God. Epic, holy, magnificent. And Jesus then says in the New Testament, before Abraham was, I am. Do you think they missed that? They didn't miss that. They weren't happy about that because Jesus is saying, you know that burning bush? I am that burning bush, and I'm here with you now, and that's my name. So Jesus is the great I am, the essence of the name that the Jewish people wouldn't even pronounce because it was so holy. So recently I was in a worship experience here. And like I said, our family's going through a health crisis and it's a really emotional time for us. And so when I came into worship, I found that I was really focused on God as healer. And I was looking in and I was reaching into the future and saying, God, you are healer and I want to pull healing into the present. I want to pull who you are and the promise that you have made of healing into our present. And that was just a prayer of my heart and a cry as I worshiped. And then I found through the songs that I was just overwhelmed with gratitude, probably saying that song that makes me cry, all my life you have been faithful. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. And I just was worshiping and crying out of gratitude. And then I found my mind going to another place, and all I could think of is you do all things well. You do all things well. And at this moment in time, in that moment in time, the most peace came from the presence, the present tense, the presence of God, and him saying, I do all things well. And I am doing all things well right now, whether you see it or you don't see it. I don't have to strain into the future and beg. I don't have to reach into the past and just reflect. But I am sustained in peace in the presence of God right now because he is the great I am. So his presence comes through his name. There was this, this um, theologian who wrote, the name is that aspect of God that serves as a kind of portal or a meeting place between the divine and human. The name was the primary vehicle or access point for them 
between the Israelite and divine, it's natural that the name needs to be protected. So for the Jewish person, this was very important. So how do we engage the Lord's Prayer now? Well, we know in the College of Prayer, and what we do on Upper Room Prayer Nights, is we treat each one of these phrases as a room that we can enter in. God our Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And there's a universe within this prayer that we can step in and out of, and we can and we can pray in each phrase for a long time and bring into the present all of those things. But at the Gospel tab, we talk about up, in, and out. And as we hallow the name of God, we direct our attention up, and we enter into that communion with God in His essence and His character and His reputation, and we expand our mind to His holiness. And as we respond, we tell other people about His goodness and His greatness. We share that as our in We say, this is what our God stories are, our ends. This is what God has been doing. That is how we hallow the name of God. Here is how I've been experiencing God as deliverer in my life. This is how I've been experiencing God as healer in my life. This is how we've seen God as the one who goes and sees and does. And the out perspective changes our paradigm. It's how we interact with the world. Our lives become reordered around the ultimate holy God. We become like him and we pray that his name to be known in the world. And we pray that he may be hallowed to all of us, not only in our thought and in our attitude, but that our actions reflect the way that we hallow God, that our lives are consistent with the holiness of God that he's put in us through Jesus. But as we look, and Jesus wasn't giving us an instruction, pray this, pray this, pray this, although he was. Jesus is the ultimate hallower. Jesus hallowed God. He said, the Son is nothing without the Father. I only do what I see the Father doing. And he hallowed the name of God, and he brought the obedience of God into his life and established the kingdom of God through his submission and respect for the name of God and hallowing him. So he hallowed God to the point of death on the cross. And as a result, God hallows Jesus. And we know in Philippians 2, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He hallowed God as his ultimate. Rather, he made himself nothing. By how? By prayer? By, yes, by action, but by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He found was found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. And the name of, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue shall acknowledge that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God and Jesus hallow us. We are not the leaders. 
in revering and respecting God. He, we love him because he first loved us. And he calls us, you are my beloved. You are my special treasure, my holy people, my royal priesthood. He elevates our name at every turn. I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. He has given us new names as he gave Abraham. He has given us the dignity. And as we experience all of these I am names of God, he not only is that to us, but he becomes that through us. And in the last few moments today, I just want us to consider this complete package that I'm not saying, come on, people, we need to hallow the name of God more, but that we experience the whole process of experience the essence of God, his delight in us, that he sings and rejoices over us, that he's given us a new name, not just one name, but every name that we experience of him that is his, he gives to us. That we can have the names of God residing in us to be on mission with. So if you haven't experienced a part of God, which we all have so much more to encounter of the holiness and magnificence of God, we can step into, God, I want to encounter you in this way. And in the ways that we say, I have encountered God as deliverer, as healer, as the one who sees as Emmanuel present with me, as mighty God, as counselor. So in that, he can use that to be that on mission with us. And you say, Lord, I want more of you so that I can bring your kingdom, your will, and your rulership into this place. So I'm going to read over a few names of God, and I'm going to put I am in front of those. If we could just bow our heads and imagine God as I am, and that he is, he is that, and we may or may not have encountered that, and then we can become that with him, an expression of that. Let's just worship the Lord as we just think about him. He says, I am God Almighty. I am the creator. I am the most high God. I am sovereign. I am Lord. I am your banner. I am your shepherd. I am your healer. I am your righteousness. I am sanctifier. I am everlasting. I am provider. I am the one who sees. I am the rock. I am the strong one. I am the restorer. I am the wonderful counselor. I am Abba, Daddy. I am peace. I am guide. I am your hiding place. I am hope. I am keeper. I am love. I am light. 
I am your portion. I am rewarder. I am the source. I am the fulfiller. I am your joy. I am the forgiver. I am slow to anger. I am gracious. I am savior. I am merciful. I am judge. I am husband. I am friend. I am your song. I am your strength. I am kind. I am stability. I am life. I am truth. I am freedom. Thank you. 